The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we've been talking about the possibility of inhabiting heaven now right here on planet Earth for the past three weeks. And I have an upcoming book with that same title uh, that will be published later this year. And uh, so we were talking about that. And in the process, what we've discovered thus far is that there have been some codes that we have behaved according to. And uh, those codes are actually prohibiting our ability to inhabit heaven now. And then there is something about shame. We talked about that and how that inhibits us from inhabiting heaven now. And then we talked about an entirely new concept of heaven, which we need to incorporate if we're going to inhabit heaven now. And now we need to understand why we're not living there now. So part of the problem with our concept of heaven, and one of the primary reasons why we don't live in heaven right now on planet Earth, is because we suffer. The Buddha told us that we suffer because we're attached to things, people, places, circumstances, etc. That if we could just relinquish attachment, we would no longer suffer. Some resent this idea because it seems to give the gods of fortune their way, and why should they, rather than us, have their way? After all, why shouldn't we have what we want and need? In answer to that question, proponents of the law of attraction say that if we can suspend so-called negative thoughts, we can win over the gods of fortune. Which one is true? Why do we suffer? And is it really possible to stop suffering on this side of heaven? Today we're going to give a considered answer to that question, and we're also going to hear another clip from Oprah's Super Soul Sunday upcoming, in which she interviews Grammy Award winner India Ari on spiritual awakening, so you want to stay tuned for that. So what is it? Why do we suffer? Well, as you know, those of you who've been paying attention to this show for a while now, and I I love my loyal listeners and appreciate your uh, feedback to me at any time you wish to give it, and I and I thank you for that whenever I get it. Um, the, the the you know that I am a proponent of what's what I call the duality trance state, which is a state in which we believe we are separate from the divine, and we act, think, walk, talk, quack, whatever, according to that state. We live in a state, a hypnotic trance state, entranced with duality. What is duality? Duality is the belief that we're separate from the divine. And because we're separate from the divine, we're separate from every other thing and person, um, object or or not, animate or inanimate uh, on the planet. And uh, because of that, we have to bridge the gap in some kind of way. Ergo, we have founded lots of different religious pathways through which we will get that bridge covered. 
so we will be able to cross the bridge using certain rituals or, or perform certain behaviors that will allow us entry into some form of connection with the divine. But even once we're connected, we do not consider ourselves to be one with the divine. We consider ourselves to be connected to the divine so that we may pray to the divine and whatever gender set we choose to give that um, that uh, entity. And we, um, we may uh, interact in that way. We may meditate and hear from the divine. We may um, actually uh, behave according to the guidelines that are posted in a sacred, sacred text uh, uh, purportedly written by the divine. We can, uh, we can do those things, but we can't ever really say that we are gods, even though that is what the Christian Bible, the New Testament says, that Jesus says, and even he is quoting from the uh, Tanakh or the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, uh, in which it is said, do your scriptures not tell you that you are gods? And in Psalms it says, I tell you, you are gods, sons of the Most High God. So, um, we don't, like I said, we don't really hear sermons on that much in uh, various churches, but it is there. And in some uh, religions, it is very clear that we are uh, the divine. In fact, in the Bhagavad Gita, um, the translation by Aswaran says that uh, we, we can call that entity, that divineness, divine self, it is I am that I am in the in the Old Testament of the or the Tanakh of the Hebrew Bible, and it is um, uh, it is that divine self. It is the Buddha nature. It is the Christ nature. It is um, given many names uh, in various sacred texts around the world. But it when you talk to people uh, about what that is, they all define it the same way, and typically they define it with an emotional word, which is peace. They define it with as a connective kind of tissue that is a part of who we are. We are constituent parts of the divine. I remember when I was a little girl, my sister used to say, um, she used to tell a story, I have uh, kind of a halfway story, with a what if at the beginning. What if, what if we were molecules on the broom handle of God? <laughs> that's the one I remember really well. And I was like, what, seven, something like that. When she said it, she doesn't even remember saying it, but I remember it very well. And it stayed with me. And uh, I do think about that sometimes, that whole idea that we are molecular components, if you will, of the divine. We are constituent to the divine. We are the divine. What that means then is that the body is not separate from the divine. The mind is not separate from the divine. The uh, the soul is not separate from the divine. The emotions are not separate from the divine. And so you might ask, well, then what the heck is going on? If that's really true, why do we have so many quote-unquote negative emotions? Why do we have so many quote-unquote negative thoughts? Why are we suffering? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. The reason why we're suffering is because we believe that we're separate from the divine. That's why we're suffering. Now, that doesn't mean that your suffering is an illusion, nor is my suffering an illusion. It means that I'm living in a trance state in which my suffering is very, very real to me. Um, and, but from that trance state, because I am also one, what is also happening is that I am being transformed even through the suffering. 
So there is no way to separate me from the divine in any kind of way. There is no way to, to, to say that suffering, even suffering, is separate from the divine. I suffer because I believe that I'm separate from the divine, and yet my very suffering is used by the divine nature within me to create my transformation. Ergo, there is no separation. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that. Now, I'm going to use uh, Christian texts um, and uh, Jewish texts as well from the Hebrew Old Testament, not because they are the only texts to be used and not because um, you can't look at this from a very interfaith perspective. And as an interfaith minister, that is my perspective. I do have a, an interfaith perspective on all there is about religion. So... Um, but I'm going to look at these mostly because these are the words that are used most often in the Western world to convince us that, yes, indeed, we are separate from the divine. And what are you thinking, calling yourself a god? Um, and, you know, even in the uh, New Thought movement or the Human Potential movement, um, I won't necessarily speak so much to the New Age movement, but even the New Thought and Human Potential movements, there seems to be a real reticence to li- literally say, you know, I'm God. I'm God, you're God, we're all God, we're all the same thing, and, and, or I am the divine, uh, we're all divine. Um, those terms are scary, scary terms to most of us. We just don't want to say it. And I remember one of the times that uh, a, a very dear author that I really admire and love her work, Marianne Williamson, who's also been on our show a couple of times, was on the Oprah show, and she was talking about, she was ending up the show, and I think she was defining the soul or something like that. I'm not sure exactly which, but what she did was she kind of hesitatingly said, I am God. (laughs) And uh, it was kind of a very quiet kind of way of saying it. And I I won't infer anything about what she meant by that because I don't know what was in her heart and mind. I only know what I saw. But, um, But I do think that we're extremely reticent to do that. And I have literally heard people who are conference attendees come from a conference in which a speaker spoke and said something about being divine and people left and said, oh my God, he said he was divine. Who does he think he is? What is going on here? Um, so, yeah, we have a real problem talking about this whole thing. It, it scares us to actually acknowledge that we are divine, but we are divine. So, okay, we learned codes and we developed shame and we had developed a concept of heaven that is unfounded in anywhere in the sacred text, all because we believe that we're separate from the divine. So we, our moral codes are set up to control our behavior and our thoughts and our hearts because we don't believe that we can do that any other way. We don't believe that we have a capacity to live with true compassion and authenticity uh, in this life here on planet Earth without some kind of structure around us that guides us. But that is not at all what what, uh, is said by any of the sacred texts in the world, nor is it said by uh, the Christian text even. So let's, let's go back and talk about what, where we get this idea that we are separate from the divine. Well, I've said it several times. I'm going to say it again because it's worth saying again. Um, that when we ate of the metaphorical tree of knowledge of good and evil, 
What we were actually doing was incorporating the hypnotic trance state of duality into our consciousness, into the body-mind, so that we would now be able to experience ourselves as separate from the divine in form. So once upon a time, there was no form. All was formless and void, is the way it's said in Genesis. And then form was created by Elohim, the multiple gods, which I think pretty much describes us, but you know, you have, there's different interpretations of that. But uh, so we created ourselves as form, and then we said, "Wait a minute! Now we're form. Can we live separate from the divine as form? Because now, wait, a minute, the divine is formless, but we're form. So does that mean we're separate? Hmm. Let's play with that idea for a, while, a little while. And essentially, when we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil." What we did was play with that. And the word knowledge that is used there in the Old Testament is doth, which breaks down to yada, which uh, means to learn by experience, to uh, come to know the self, to reveal the self, means several different words, but those are classic words that pretty much tell us what we're doing here. We are learning by experience to understand the whole idea of, of good and evil. So we, what we've done is we've interpreted our fortunes according to those same lines. So if one thing happens to us, we consider it to be bad. If another thing happens to us, we consider it to be good. And that is why we suffer. So here's what was said. After the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the metaphorical eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what was said to Adam and Eve the metaphorical figures for the beginning of humanity and its masculine archetype and its feminine archetype, what was said was, now, because you've done this, no shrub of the field, no, wait, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm about to read the wrong thing. What was happening before uh, they, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was that the, the earth was replenished all by itself. So, now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. So, everything took care of itself. It was self-generating, self-perpetuating, self-originating. And that and that is what we are, actually. Uh, but we have forgotten that. So, And the way we forgot it was we hypnotized ourselves into believing that we're separate from the divine. So that's how the earth was prior to our eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then after the, three of, tr- the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in Genesis chapter 3, 16 through 19, we read, In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So once we developed into form... We began, and ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we began to think of ourselves as dust. We be, we're just physical. That's all we are. We're, we're not formless anymore. We're just physical. And we were created from the dust, and so we'll return to the dust. What happens with the soul, of course, is that it is created as formlessness, and it returns to formlessness once it is, has been through with an embodiment in dust. Um, but so what's happening there is that 
Because we believe that we are separate from the divine, because we agreed to take on the trance state of duality, which was part of our mission here on planet Earth, and I'm going to say some more about that in a minute as well, we began to suffer. We began to, to, to think that we were responsible for making the crops grow. We were responsible for bringing ourselves bread. And so, you know, for us to think about that today, the mind is so caught up in the duality trance state, it seems insane to think that we don't supply our lives by our own efforts. But to the mind awakened to its truest divine nature... To what I called in the first uh, episode of this month where we talked about righteousness as only Christ truly. The true interpretation of that word is only Christ truly. To, to those of us who live as only Christ truly, to the I am that I am, to the Buddha nature, to the divine self, all effort is effortless effort. For the flow of divine energy carries both us and our provision. But when that inner judge is banging his gavel, silencing the truth, numbing the thoughts of awakening, we fear that we must continue to sing for our supper. And so we bargain. If I work really hard, then I will keep the wolves away from my door. And so it is that we are condemned by our own inner judge. That is why we suffer. We suffer because we developed a hypnotic trance state in which we agreed to see ourselves as separate from the divine. Thusly, we judge ourselves according to those two small, narrow, little categories of good and evil, which really are culturally developed, culturally defined, and uh, cannot be pinned down in any way to something definite for everyone on the planet, which we've already talked about in a previous show. So, so okay. The pain you bring forth to children, what that essentially means metaphorically is that in every one of our creations, we will have pain. Um, but our desire will be, and the word is husband here, it's actually not husband at all in the literal text. It is for our connection, and 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 uh, it is our connection to this duality trans state. Our desire will be for survival, essentially is what it's saying, and survival will rule over us. So that is exactly what's happened. We have decided that now we're in charge of our survival. It isn't our souls anymore. It isn't uh, the divine who is organizing in the ba- in the uh, the seat of orchestration in our lives, as we said in a previous show. That that the divine is always organizing our efforts along the lines of what will transform us into more and more awareness of who we actually are. That's not happening in our duality trance state. At least we don't think it is. What's really happening is we have to sing for our supper. We have to uh, struggle and strain and strive and fight against other people and make sure that we get food on the table for ourselves and our families. But when we live in the divine uh, nature, we don't have to do that anymore because all effort is effortless effort. And we we come from... uh, um, Another place deep inside of us. We originate our thoughts, deeds, and actions from that deeper space inside of us where there is peace, where there is the knowing that we are always okay, that we're always being provided for, that, um, that, that survival is not an issue because there is no death. Um, that illness is not an issue because uh, a body that is divine doesn't get sick. Um, it's really, really hard for us, however, to wrap our minds around that. And of course, since I get sick sometimes, it's hard for you to go, well, Andrea, come on, you get sick sometimes, so 
How can we believe you? You can't. You have to decide for yourself. But that's what this show is all about then, isn't it? Deciding for yourself about who you actually are. That's what authenticity is all about. The journey to yourself, not myself, not somebody else's self, not the self that's defined by your culture, but yourself. So this is a place where where I'm challenging you to think original thoughts. And so my challenge is pretty deep today. It's asking you to go to places that are not so comfortable to go to, particularly based on a culture in which to say I am that I am is blasphemy. So we're going to talk about that blasphemy a little bit more right after the break. Stay tuned for more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you interested in finding out more about divine guidance? We all possess special gifts in this world, and sometimes finding out more about them and how to use them can help us get through some of the difficult parts of our lives. Tune in to Elemental Balance, Soul and Spirit Guidance with host Phyllis Valois. Phyllis is an intuitive and medium who will use her gifts to help you find out more about your gifts. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Now, you may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following. Holistic Theology, offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality, and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. 
Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIST gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. And right now, AIHT is still running that special program in which if you email in before July 1st, you can get a free course. Just email beverlylove at aiht.edu and make win a free course your subject. If your letter's drawn, you will win a free course to check out the quality of the work you will do at AIHT. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. Within you are countless magnificent achievements to be discovered and fulfilled. Let AIHT open the door to your magnificence. And we're talking today about that very magnificence, which is, uh, as I'm defining it today, divine self, as it's defined in the Bhagavad Gita, divine self, as it's defined in many of the sutras, Sufi and Buddhist uh, sutras. Uh, it is divine. It is a nature that is deep within us. That is what some call the Buddha nature, and others call divine self. Um, and what God, what Jesus called, um, you are gods. The I am that I am, what God called the I am that I am in the Old Testament um, of the, uh, or the Hebrew Tanakh. So what we've been talking about so far is that we suffer because we believe something that's not true. Now, what I don't mean by that is that, again, our suffering is illusion. Some have read The Course in Miracles and decided that what it's really trying to tell us is that everything on planet Earth is an illusion and the only real is what is unseen. And I don't agree with that. I need to be real clear about that. I don't believe we're living in an illusion. I believe we're living in form. And in form, everything that is in form is all, is very real. And uh, in our um, suffering, we are discovering more and more of what is real. We're walking through the duality trance state in order to create form. That's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're here on planet Earth to, f- to complete the creation process of form. Form that is not separate from the divine, but form that is united with formlessness, self that is div- united with divine. So uh, in that process, we have to try out every avenue that looks like it might be trying to inform us that we are indeed separate from the divine. We have to experiment with it in order to finally put that question to rest. Is form separate from formlessness? Well, when we get to the final answer, it's going to be no. No, it's not separate. There is no separation between formlessness and form. And therefore, we don't have to divide up our lives into good and evil in order to um, participate in the divine. It is our thought process, our interpretive thought process that divides up life into good and evil. And um, so what we're, what we're saying here is that events happen in our lives and we interpret them as suffering. 
It doesn't mean the events are an illusion, and it doesn't mean that um, the actuality of the emotions that are uh, rolling in over us because of a particular event are an illusion either. Um, they are very real, but they are very real because we believe that we're separate from the divine and that these events that have happened to us are bad. Um, and most of us at some really deep core archetypal unconscious level believe that we are, that, that our separation means that we are somehow bad. Um, and as a matter of fact, many of, uh, of our religions teach us that we are bad, that we are inherently bad, that we are born in what some call original sin, and that our, that makes us bad people, and that we have to have our codes, our morals, our laws, our, um, even the Ten Commandments and all the other rules and re- regulations that are supposedly written in the Tanakh of the Old Testament and, and, and the Old Testament, I mean, Tanakh of the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament of the Christian Bible and the New Testament of the Christian Bible, we believe there's a big old should hanging over us all the time. You should do this and you should do that and you should do the other. And if you go to church, well, then you'll be able to keep yourself in line. Uh, church, temple, mosque, whatever, you'll be able to keep yourself in line by following XYZ rules. Because you can't trust that in yourself because, whoa, it's bad. It lives in original sin. And therefore... We have a belief that deep down inside we're bad. So when bad things, quote-unquote bad things, happen to us, there's a match. There's a sudden match. That Oh, that bad thing happened to me. Well, of course it happened to me because I'm bad. Makes perfect sense. You know, I'm a bad person. Bad things can happen to me. Somehow, the gods of fortune are punishing me. And uh, actually, the word that is used in the New Testament very often for, for um, the devil breaks down in its root words to mean distribution of fortunes. Yeah. So when we talk about some big, heinous, hairy, red devil with a pitchfork and a long pointy tail, what we're really talking about is the distribution of fortunes in our lives. And that's actually what was being talked about when this was stated by the divine. In your praying, you'll bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. Cursed is the ground because of you and toil. You'll eat of it all the days. When he was saying all that, when he, the um, using that um, very liberally, when the God of the Old Testament was saying, you are, the ground is cursed because of you, um, he was actually saying that because of this duality trans-state, you are going to believe that you have to provide for yourself, that you have to struggle, that bad things can happen to you, that you're going to have to work really hard to survive. You're going to believe that. And because you believe that, survival is going to rule over you. All of your creations, all of the things that you create are not going to come from, from your steepest soul. They're going to come from this urge to survive. It's going to rule over you. And, and our creations will very often come from pain. And so it is. So that's how we live. And we believe, most of us believe, that we, as we look at that passage in Genesis 3 of uh, the Tanakh of the Hebrew Bible or, or the uh, Old Testament, we, we believe that it is telling us that we did something really, really bad and therefore we deserve this. We, I mean, we did it. We're the ones who chose it, right? We're the bad guys here. And so we deserve this. And that's our archetypal association to the, to the, what I call the good evil complex in which, um, 
we believe that when something quote unquote bad happens to us, we return immediately to that archetypal construct in which we believe that, oh, yes, this is happening because I deserve it. I cannot tell you how many people I've worked with over the years in various settings, whether it's as groups, teaching groups, clients, um, readers, even listeners who, who say to me, well, you know, I had a miscarriage and I guess that was God's punishment because I had an abortion earlier in my life. Or um, I, I, you know, had an automobile wreck and that, I guess that's my punishment because, you know, I've been driving kind of crazy lately and, you know, I guess I deserved that. Or, you know, I got fired and, uh, you know, well, I have kind of been slacking off a little bit lately. But I didn't think I was slacking off that much, but, you know, I guess I deserve that. And you know, maybe, you know, I'm being punished for something. Um, somewhere deep down in our psyches, that's how we think. Um, and so when we see enormous suffering across uh, the world, we, we wonder, what did they do to deserve that? You know, and and we speak in terms of deserving. We speak, in, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated this way, is what we say to somebody who's just treated us badly. Um, I'm not sure we deserve anything at all, ever. It's all a gift. We didn't earn it. <laughs> it's all a gift. And so the idea that we have to deserve is based on that old archetype of we're supposed to work for everything we get. And it's just so hard for us to even imagine that we could we could be in the process of work but not really working and that's what is meant by effortless effort it is effort that comes from the soul it is soulful effort in other words it is done in us as us not um, not done by strain and toil and striving and strategy and all that stuff we think we have to do to prove our worth because that's what so many of us are trying to do. We're trying very, very hard to prove our worth. I'm worthy because I work hard. I mean, people come in and see me and they say, well, I'm a hard worker, you know. I work eight, sometimes 10, 12 hours a day. I'm a hard worker. I don't deserve this. <laughs> and you see how we've connected dots there that don't really belong together. Uh, something has happened. And and yes, it's a difficult challenge. It's a difficult challenge because we believe that somehow it threatens our survival. There is no death. So nothing threatens our survival. But we watch people every day dying. So we like, you can't say there's no death. People are dying everywhere. What's the matter with you, Andrea? Well, <laughs> uh, yes and no. Uh, the other thing that was said is that death will come to you if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we think that means that uh, your punishment is you're going to die because you ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But actually what it means is, uh, in my view, is that uh, death is a part of the duality trance state. The idea, the notion that we die is a part of the uh, duality trance state because we think we're only form. We do not realize that we are form and formlessness simultaneously. And so, that's why I'm talking about this. That's why I wrote the book is because this is so hard for us to wrap our heads around. It is so difficult for us to even imagine that we are form and formlessness at the same time. And yet, quantum physis uh, physicists are proving it on a daily basis that are, are at least conceptualizing it in theoretical format that is well nigh unto proof that we are 
form and formlessness are the same thing. I'm sitting in this chair, and the chair is physical and I'm physical, but uh, what's going on is that there's also millions of molecules in, in both the chair and in my body. And, um, you know, if I were tiny, tiny, I would fall through those molecules into outer space because below the molecules are quarks and below them are neutrons. And it's just, uh, we just neutrinos and then we just keep going down and down and down to smaller and smaller and smaller pieces of matter that convince uh, quantum physicists that matter is also not matter. (laughs) Form is also formlessness. Um, And so we're getting closer and closer to being able to recognize that, but the brain still has a hard time taking that in. And why is that? Because we live in a world of thought. When we came here to the metaphorical Garden of Eden, and again, I'm using that as a metaphor, um, you can you can translate that in all kinds of different stories from all kinds of different religious texts. But I'm using the Western text because that's the text that's so often used to convince us that we are separate from the divine. So, so uh, when we came into the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden being a a, a symbolic form of heaven, in which everything is taken care of, in which. Uh, all is well, in which self-perpetuation leads to self-perpetuation, in which everything is in the eternal now, everything is continuing on, um, that, that place in our own psyches is where we lived prior to the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What is the tree of knowledge of good and evil? It's one of two thoughts. Um, the, two, the first thought was the thought of life. Life being eternal life, living in the eternal now, where all things are continuing, all things are perpetual, all things are constantly evolving, all things are constantly growing. That's life. Um, The other place is a place where we can say, well, I'm separate from the divine, so there's the possibility of death and there's the possibility that I'll have to struggle and strain and strategize to get what I want in life. Um, Those are two thoughts, two very opposite thoughts. And we had a choice as to which one we were going to do. Were we going to come into form and live in life? Um, or were we going to come into form and experience and experiment with the concept of, of duality? We chose duality and that was a part of our mission because all those questions must be answered before we can eat of the tree of life. Now, when we get to the book of Revelations... Uh, what we see is that the tree of life is standing right in the middle of the center. Again, a metaphor, not not a um, literal translation, but a metaphor for standing in the middle of the city, standing in the middle of the river also, um, and living also be on either side of the river. Uh, so that uh, that tree is, is something we can now participate in because we have gone through the entire experience of duality and our garments which is our skin, our flesh and bone, are called worthy. Our body is now worthy. Why? Because it is now recognized as both form and formlessness. And I don't know what that's going to look like. My brain can't conceptualize what that will look like when we get there. But I I have some suspicion that it will mean that we can blink in and out of formlessness. Now, who knows what it really means. That's kind of um, uh, very far out there kind of thinking. But 
again, we think outside of the box on this show. We're a place for original thinking, and we challenge your thinking. Hopefully, you'll be able to come up with your own original thoughts about what that means to you and how significant it is for you. Um, So, um, in that process of discovery, uh, I'm just sort of inserting some thoughts and some ideas in there that perhaps you can process and decide for yourself what that means. So, we're going to come back and talk about that some more, and we're also going to have that clip from the Oprah show, uh, the Super Soul Sunday show, in which she interviews India Ari. Stay tuned for that. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. All About You airs live Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porozhik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about why it is that we've suffer, we suffer here on planet Earth. And what we've discovered is that we suffer because we live in a duality trans state in which we believe that some things that happen to us are good and some things that happen to us are bad. And those categories can be completely thrown out when we consider uh, ourselves as one with all things and all people. So we are one even with our events and our circumstances. And the divine is in every circumstance and every event. Therefore, we don't get to call it good or bad. It's not a good event or a bad event. It's a divine event. It's always a divine event. And uh, so what do we do then with our suffering? Well, How do we handle suffering? Do we just kind of blow it off and say, oh, well, I shouldn't feel these feelings? No. That is not what we do. Um, that is not going to help us. It only represses uh, our 
thoughts into energy that sits down there waiting for a leak in our psyche for it to come flowing out in some way that we don't like. That makes us go, oh, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? Who was it? I don't even know who that was. I was beside myself. What was I thinking? Um, and that's when people come to me and say, well, I don't even know why I did that. Well, yeah, you did that because it was down in there to do. Um, so, uh, so when we're talking about suffering, um, the idea is not to say, well, I'm just not ever going to suffer anymore. What The idea is to take suffering as the gift it is. That is very hard for us to do, but it is absolutely a gift. And we only think of it as suffering because we're interpreting it as bad. But if we change our thinking just slightly to say, oh, this event is just another divine event in my life because I'm one with all things and all things are divine, so therefore this event in my life is divine. So that's the first step. The second is to, and I hate to break this down into steps because there really are no steps, but to, for the purpose of conversation, um, the next step is to begin to use the emotions that come up in response to an event um, to, to begin the process of transformation, which is actually the process of growing into identification with who we actually are. Carl Jung talks about this process, um, and he calls it individuation uh, or integration, those terms he uses interchangeably. And basically what he says is that these really difficult events are kind of uh, helping us to get past all the garbage, and he doesn't use that words, but that's how I'm interpreting what he said, to, to what he called the self. And he said the self is the same as what he called the God image. He didn't go quite so far as to say it was God, but he did say it was the God image. He did say he would defer that because he was not. He was trying to be a scientist instead of um, a pastor or a priest or um, some religious person. So, um, but he called it the God image, the imago dei in us, and and it is the self. So he says there's lots of ways to do that. To, he uses dreams. To help us to get in touch with uh, with that self, um, uh, active imagination to help us really begin to dialogue with our own emotions and the own figures, uh, the figures in our dreams, the characters in our dreams, um, to be able to write down. Well, this is what I think, and to kind of hear back from what we think that the the other party, that character in our dream or our emotions, are saying. Um, to to write from that deeper part from of ourselves to do art creative work from that deeper to dance from that deeper part of ourselves to not try to get into a step or or some kind of particular dance step that can be judged on dancing with the stars but rather to um, to really just dance from the soul to let the body move as the soul orchestrates um, to uh, some people call that body work um, to be able to um, to think about that event in our lives as we meditate to sort of bring the event and its emotions that come with it into our meditation and sort of watch them unfold rather than identifying with them to just kind of watch the emotions roll in and out like waves on the ocean and to just kind of sit with that and let it be and ask it the emotion to inform us of its ultimate message because here's the thing we suffer because we have emotions if we didn't have any emotions we'd be like data in uh, star trek and we would not recognize suffering 
our emotions uh, are what suffers. And so we, we hurt, we have pain, we cry, we, we are in turmoil, we're anxious, we're divided, we're in conflict. All of those things are a part of our suffering. And so if we can allow the, mu- the emotion to roll in like a wave and roll in over us and then roll up on the beach and then roll back out, what we will find is that it's left something on the beach for us. Now that's an analogy that, that sort of says that What's on the beach has value, and what's on the beach is not just the emotion itself. So I'm angry, and so what we typically think is, well, I've just got to go do something with this anger. I've got to go tell Joe what he did to me, and I've got to make him stop doing that. And you know, if I can't, well, I'm just going to be frustrated because Joe needs to learn better, and he needs to get his act together because he's hurting me. Yeah, that's what we typically think anger is for. It's really not ours. It's Joe's. No, anger is ours. Every emotion is ours, and it is just energy. And guess what? It's divine energy. And so, as divine energy, it has a real message for us. And in that process, we can begin to awaken. And uh, so, that awakening process is what uh, India Ari is talking about in, uh, in the next upcoming Super Soul Sunday that is coming up on June the 23rd at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific Time uh, on, uh, on OWN. Uh, please go to, your, uh, to the OWN website and find out how you can get to OWN on your particular um, cable or whatever it is that you're using. But in this interview, Oprah sits down with the multi-platinum and Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter India Ari, known as an artist whose mission is to spread love, healing, peace, and joy through the power of words and music. India Ari reveals a series of setbacks that caused her to consider leaving the music industry altogether. India says she hit rock bottom when she found herself struggling between the demands of the music business and her deep desire to express her soul's song. During this candid interview with Oprah, she shares her thoughts on a recent controversy that unexpectedly placed her in the spotlight, plus how she returned to her spiritual roots, ultimately regaining her energy, releasing a new album, and rediscovering her identity. Stay tuned for that. She is the guest you've been buzzing about for weeks on Twitter, the super soulful, super solar. This is my favorite show on television. India Ari, 10 million albums sold, four Grammy Awards, why she decided to walk away from it all. How are you going to retire from music? Because music is you. It almost makes me want to cry just thinking about it because I knew I was afraid. So what do you know now that you didn't know then? Super Soul Sunday, all new this Sunday, 11 a.m., 10 Central. So you want to be here for that. Again, I will tell you that Super Soul Sunday is one of my favorite shows on TV. I watch it religiously, no pun intended, and it and it is a uh, awakening every Sunday. So uh, this is going to be a two-episode uh, interview. She's interviewing her on June the 23rd, this coming up Sunday, and again the following Sunday. So you want to be there for both. Uh, TiVo it, DVR it, do what you got to do to see this show. You won't, you'll be glad you did. Um, so, and what we were talking about, and what actually India Ari is talking about, is the process of spiritual awakening, and that is what tuning in to our suffering can give us. It is one of our grandest gifts that we can we can suffer, that we can feel the emotions that come with the duality trans state, and process through them to a place in which we uh, come to a new awareness of who we actually are. 
uh, I see this every day in my practice that I've been working with people for over 30 years now and being able to see that transformation uh, happen in somebody's face is just one of the most delightful and meaningful experiences of my life in which uh, a person begins to see that their truest self is not at all been what they've been living out of that their truest self has been hidden deep in the closets of their experiences while they tried to live out of an identity that wasn't who they were at all all in the name of survival all in the name of connecting with other people with whom we think we must have in our lives to survive and so we put on these masks and costumes and we live them out. And because of those masks and costumes, we develop emotions that are correlative to the mask and costume we put on. So if I'm wearing the victim mask and costume, then I believe life is always hard and I'm always fighting City Hall and I'm always losing and people are always out to get me and it's always going to be that way and there's not anything I can do about it. Well, that's a pretty depressing scenario, is it not? Yeah, it is. So then we wonder why we're depressed. Well, hello, we're depressed because we have thoughts that are telling us to be depressed, that life is just too hard for us. Maybe be easy for other people. But the secondary gain there is that for the victim, they can get those other people to step up and take care of them. So it's hard for somebody who believes that they wear the victim and mask, victim mask and costume to take that off because to take it off means that they've got to be responsible for their own lives. So there's always a secondary gain and we, we can get in touch without, without calling ourselves evil, without judging ourselves. We put these things on because we thought that we had to to survive. You know, we, how else did we imagine we would survive? But the reason we think we have to survive is because we all, every one of us, no one is left out of this, live in a state of, a trance state of duality. And slowly, some of us are beginning to awaken more and more. And as time goes by, we'll, all of us will begin to awaken more and more. And eventually, we'll all be awake. Uh, rather than the end coming in some terrible uh, um, doom and gloom, uh, apocalyptic, tragic ending where some of us are going to get to go to heaven, the rest of us, many more of us, are going to get to go to hell, eternal separation from the divine. Rather than that, that's not at all what's being forecast in, in the root language that's used in the book of Revelations that we call it, the, the Revelation of John. Um, it's something entirely different from that. And uh, what's, what's actually being told in that book is that we're, we're evolving slowly to open back up the closed chakras that are being talked about in the seven bowls and the seven candles and the seven, that's the seven chakras. And then ultimately we see that there's actually 12 chakras and uh, five above the crown chakra. And that in the process of those opening, we are awakening. So that it's filled with all kinds of metaphors and dreadful looking images, but that's because our dreams are also filled with those images. Why? Because we live in the duality trance state in which we believe that we're separate from the divine. So our suffering happens because we believe that we're separate from the divine, but our suffering can also unite us with the divine in, in our own awareness because we can begin to say, okay, my suffering is also divine. My, this event that's happened in my life, my emotions about that event are also divine energies, and I'm going to find out. I'm going to go in, look for that. 
I'm going to uh, be like the little boy in the room that was filled with horse manure. I'm going to go digging through that stuff. And I'm going to say, you know what, if there's just this much manure in here, there has got to be a horse in here somewhere. And that's why we need to think about our suffering. We need to explore it for the message it leaves on the beach. And the message is always a step forward. It's always guidance to step forward into who we are, deeper and forward into who we are, so that we can um, evolve more closely body and mind into who we are as soul or as divine beings. So um, that process is one in which we do not tune out our emotions, but pay attention to our emotions because they have a gift to give us, because they are also divine energies. Um, but in, when we think in terms of um, being separate from the divine, we think, A, that we deserve these things, and B, that they're coming to, uh, uh, they're just coming because life is hard. They're not really coming to give us a gift. So I would say, look for your gift, and um, and pay in the process, pay attention to your emotions. Be with them. Be with them as you would a little child. Sit down with your emotions. Hold your emotions on your lap as you would a little child who comes to you and says, Mommy, I'm sad. Or Daddy, I'm sad. And hold them. Hold them. Comfort them. Listen to them. They have something important to say to you. And then they give you a gift. Just like that little child will plant a sloppy kiss right on your cheek. That emotion will give you a gift that you can carry with you. And with you and with you. And it will grow and bring you something else. And that will grow and bring you something else. There is no stoppage of the growth that can happen when we are living in the divine divine nature. And next week we're going to be talking to Robert Masters on emotional intimacy. Also, he's the author of Knowing Your Own Shadow and Spiritual Bypassing. Great author. I love his work. You don't want to miss that. And uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.